I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your hosts, Tim Harrison and Jamie Jackson. It's Jamie and Tim. <laughs> Dr. Pepper guy is back again. Yes. Oh my goodness, I love that guy. I don't. He's irritating. I just want to do what he does. Sing about Dr. Diet is Diet Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I don't like soda, but I don't like Dr. Pepper. He can't sing. I can't sing. We're the same person. All right. So, Jamie, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the Bennington Triangle in Vermont. Vermont, eh? Yes. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's jump on into it. Let's jump on in. The Bennington Triangle was, the term was coined by a New England author, Joseph A. Citro, in 1992 to describe an area of southwestern Vermont. And some people may confuse it with the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. That's kind of why he referred to this area as the Bennington Triangle. It's a play off of the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts that we probably will cover in the future. Mm-hmm. But Bennington Triangle is not quite as commonly known or talked about so that's why we're going with this one first okay the name came about because there's a ton of strange occurrences in the area bigfoot ufos strange disappearances this place has everything there are ghosts there were murders there are strange missing people that actually some are in missing 411 books that we've talked about before ufo sightings uh bigfoot type creature it's got everything so it's a melting pot it is a melting pot the area of weird, super crazy weirdness. The area that is encompassed in the triangle, it's not a very clearly defined area. The main idea is that it's centered on Glastonbury Mountain, and it contains some or all of the towns surrounding it. So Bennington, Somerset, Woodford, and Shaftesbury, Vermont are all in some part part of this triangle. The town of Glastonbury itself was chartered in 1761, but it wasn't until the first Vermont census of 1791 that there was a record of anyone living in the town. And at that time, it was six families that lived there. That big area? Just in Glastonbury, on the mountain. Okay. The town saw a slow increase in residents until sometime after the Civil War when people began to make use of the dense woods and they started logging and charcoal industries on the mountain. So there was like this huge boom and the railroad actually took tracks up the mountain to this area because they were making a ton of money logging. Eventually, because back then nobody knew how to make sure you didn't deplete your resources, they depleted the resources and cut down too many trees and then there wasn't anything to log and the railroad stopped going to the mountain. The population dwindled and eventually there was an act of legislature in 1937 that unincorporated the town. So it's not officially a town anymore because they cut down too many trees. A, stupid that they cut down too many trees. But B, you could just vote if a town has meaning anymore. I don't even think it, yeah, I mean, it was the legislature that unincorporated it. I don't really know the ins and the legal ins and outs of incorporating a town versus unincorporating a town. Hmm. No, it reminds me of. No. Miss Schmitz Creek. No. 
watched the show on Netflix. I've seen the show on, I mean, I haven't watched it, but I know of the show. Okay, it's funny. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'll try it out. If it's not, you'll hear about it. So before the town's complete decline, there was a gentleman named Henry McDowell, and he murdered a fellow mill worker in 1892 in a brawl. McDowell bashed the man's head in with a chunk of wood or a rock. I actually think it was a sledge. Like a sledgehammer? Like Not a sledgehammer, but I think like a sledge that you use to split wood. Isn't that what that's called? You know what? It's, it's basically a big piece of iron that yeah. you, like a wedge. They call it a splitter. I don't know that it was always called a splitter. Old people call it something else. Okay, well, Tim calls it a splitter because it literally splits wood. It's like a wedge. You're, You're a wedging wedge. it in the You're in the a wedge, wedge, Jamie. You make me have wedgies, so. I was going to go there. <laughs> so after he killed his co-worker, uh, Henry McDowell fled the area, and he actually was later captured. And at the time of his capture, he began talking about voices in his head that would not leave him alone. He was found to be insane and was sentenced to Waterbury Asylum. And Henry was able to escape by sneaking into a rail car full of coal. And he was never seen again, at least not while he was alive. (laughs) Witnesses have claimed to see the ghost of Henry still walking the area in the abandoned town. So, true crime and a ghost right off the bat. I just, I'm amazed the fact that they caught him. He escaped and like... The most, like, movie way possible. Yeah. And then no one caught him. Nobody caught him. No one. Yeah. You know what he probably did? Went back up in them woods. Probably. I mean, think about it. I mean, it. he could have gone anywhere. 1897. Or 1890s. Go. There's not like there's internet. You're not sharing them on Facebook. So. I'll, go, I'll go up in the woods. He probably did. There's a second murder that happened in the area, and it is steeped in mystery. 1897 in Bickford Hollow, which is near the former town of Fayville, John Harbor was murdered at his deer hunting camp. He was out hunting with his brother and a family friend, and the family friend and his brother heard a rifle shot. Then they heard John yell, I've been shot. The brother and friend immediately started searching for John Harbor, but they were unable to locate him until 11 a.m. the next day. They found him with his legs sticking out from under a cedar tree and his loaded gun leaning carefully against a tree as if it had been placed there. He was underneath of a cedar tree? He was, I don't think, I think he was sitting underneath a cedar tree. Oh, like he was sitting with his feet hanging out. Yeah, like he was sitting, His they could see his feet from underneath of it and his gun was leaning against a tree like, propped against a tree stranger still the place where the body was found was not the same place where the murder took place oh yeah probably got shot and took off running i don't there wasn't any indication of that that was the case it was kind of back then even a mystery of how it all happened and who placed the gun against the tree if you're shot you're not taking the time to place your gun against the tree i mean fair Mm-hmm. So how did he get there? That's that's, the, fair. that's the big mysterious question. How did he get there? Who propped up the gun? Uh, there were no marks on the ground that would indicate that Harbor had been able to drag himself to the location. Mm. In addition to the ghost of murdered men, there's also been the sound of a ghostly train whistle that's heard on the mountain, even though the railroad shut down the tracks in the area in the late 1880s. That's weird. Why would a train be? Well, it's kind of like a residual haunting, so I don't know. Or like Josh Turner, long black train. Yo, yeah. Love me, Josh Turner. I'll cuddle him, too. I know. You cuddle everybody. Gotta spread the love. Good to know. There's also a monster lurking in the woods on Glastonbury Mountain and the surrounding areas, and it is called the Bennington Monster. It's a very original name. 
Wow, that's such a unique name. Mm-hmm. So let me get this right. So far we got um, two murders. Two murders. One's a mystery. Mm-hmm. One's an escaped fugitive that no one's ever saw again. Who's insane hearing voices in his head. Okay. And now... The ghost, the ghost of murdered people. And the train. And the train. Mm-hmm. And then now we got the Bennington monster. Now we've got a cryptid. Yep. So reports of the monster, they've been circulating since the 1880s. Or 1800s, excuse me. One of the first sightings took place on a rainy night on the mountain. A stagecoach with four passengers was traveling to the secluded, on the secluded mountain road, and the rain became so heavy that the driver had to stop the coach. When he did, he noticed some large prints in the mud. They were very deep and had a long stride that indicated whatever had left them was quite large and heavy. And moving. Yes, and whatever had left them had been there recently since the rain hadn't yet washed the prints away. So the passengers, curious, got out to look at the prints. They didn't seem quite human. And while they're all standing there, the horses began to get spooked, prancing, neighing loudly. And then a large creature began attacking the empty coach. The beast was able to knock the coach over with just a few strikes. The passengers reported seeing its large menacing eyes and hearing it roar as it retreated back into the brush. So then what do they do about the coach? Flip back over and go? I, I don't know. Okay. Or get picked up by another coach. I don't know. I don't want to be hanging on them woods too long. Neither. Neither. Since that time, the Bennington monster has been sighted many times. Most people describe a creature similar to Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Some report a dark-haired creature over six feet tall and covered completely in hair. Some describe it as a red-haired creature. You know what it sounds like to me? Hmm. Skunk ape. Skunk ape's not as big as a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. It's way more aggressive, and it's reddish. Mm -hmm. It's been reported reddish. Yeah. And they, I know they're aggressive towards humans. Yeah. I don't know. There was a hiker that had a, the sudden feeling of being watched. And at the same time, they could smell what was described as a musky odor. The hiker began moving towards the area where the car was parked. Hearing something following her in the woods, it was a female hiker. She said she felt like she was being hunted. Oh. Mm-hmm. Luckily, she met up with two men who were actually heading out to go hunting, and they um, escorted her back to her car. Later, the two hunters said that they didn't see a creature, but they did see large areas where brush had been trampled down in a path, and that there was also the lingering musky odor. Ugh. Another witness actually encountered two creatures at the same time. They felt as though they were being watched, and the person looked up and saw a creature watching her from the trees. So again, it was a woman, another woman hiker. Uh, The creature was black and had large eyes. Its nose was muzzle-like, but smushed like a bulldog or a boxer, and it had two small pointed ears on the side of its head. In addition to that creature, there was also a taller, lankier, red-haired creature standing nearby. So kind of like his parent or something like that? I don't know. The second creature seemed more ape-like and stood hunched over. Both creatures made growling noises before moving into the woods. Okay, a little weird. There were also reports in the area of a creature throwing rocks at houses late at night and causing dogs to cower in terror. But not taking them though, right? Just scaring no, them? No, just scaring them. You might think, oh, 1800 story stagecoach, yeah, okay, whatever. But it didn't just end there. It continued. There's been, I mean, the, the hiker sightings are actually more recent sightings. Like how recent you say? Last 20 years? Uh, yeah, I'd say 20, 30 years. I'd say 20 years probably. And for anyone who doesn't know exactly how the lady was feeling, um, walk into woods and typically you hear a bunch of animals, mm-hmm. right? When a larger predator is around, typically birds stop chirping, wildlife stops moving around, it gets eerily quiet, and then like, 
how do I say, the vibrations and the feel just changes. Your natural caveman-like self will pick up on it. So you'll feel antsy. Mm -hmm. You'll feel sweaty. You'll feel nervous. And then you'll start looking around like a crazy person. Typically, if you hear birds stop, you should go. That's my personal opinion. If birds aren't chirping. pay attention. Fudge that. Birds ain't chirping. I'm (laughs) dipping. If something up in a tree is is nervous, me on the ground, I'm scared. (laughs) Yeah, I don't hike by myself. Both these people were hiking alone. I don't hike by myself. Well, I mean, you can always carry yourself a weapon. I carry a knife. That knife. Buy you a flare gun. Perfectly fine. 50 bucks, you can shoot right at it. I just prefer to travel in a group. I shoot a flare gun on someone in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would too. I'll flare you up. If I had to protect myself. Yeah, oh, you're funny. (laughs) We have murders, ghosts, cryptid. Now we're going to talk about the most notable thing in the area, which are the mysterious disappearances. Like Missing 401-ish? Yeah. um, Most of these, I think, are actually in Missing 411. A lot of things say that there were a total of five people who went missing between 1945 and 1950. That were the ones that, you know, like that's what they talk about, that these disappearances on Glastonbury Mountain. But there's actually more than five. Okay, I about to say, it sounds like it's only one a year. Yeah, there's actually more than five. The first one that I found was a two-year-old girl named Winona Nelson who oh, went missing God. in April 1937. She was eventually found uh, sitting by a wood pile and had suffered from frostbite and developed pneumonia. She actually was in the hospital for a long time and was touch and go whether she was going to make it because she had pneumonia in the one lung and she actually had gangrene in her one leg because of the frostbite, but she did actually pull through. That a girl. Then there was 20-month-old Alice Lorraine Baker, who went missing August 1937, so just a few months after uh, Winona. The Baker family was vacationing at a cabin in Bennington, and they had three children, and Alice was the youngest. And late in the afternoon that day, Mrs. Baker had to run to a neighbor's cabin, and she left Alice alone. She returned about 10 minutes later to find that Alice was gone. I don't think that was unusual to do that. You're just, you're running next door and coming right back. It doesn't happen today, but back then, I don't think that that was something that was super unusual, especially if you had other siblings. Well, you're better than me. I mean, you're giving her the benefit of the doubt big time because of the time frame. Me, personally, what's wrong with you? Yeah, but you can't take what you know of today's world and apply it to 1937 because it's not even close to the same. It's not even remotely the same. I don't like my kids being in the dine, in the living room and I'm in the kitchen and it's only like eight feet away from me. Kids other. worked in the fields at, at four and five years old. They were working in the field. So it was a totally different mind frame back then, So especially because she had older siblings. I don't know how much older they were, but there were older siblings there. So the mom's running next door, coming right back. I wouldn't now, but the world, like I said, is completely different. It's, you're pushing almost 100 years ago, 1937. It's 2021 now, so what, 16 more years? It'll be 100 years ago. It doesn't seem like that long. It doesn't sound like it should be that long ago, but it was. Anyway. That would put me at 41 years old. Hmm, still not as old as me. So she comes home, she finds Alice gone, and Mrs. Baker searches the area of the cabin and around the cabin, but does not see her. So she goes to the neighbors again for assistance, asks them to notify law enforcement. Police, Civilian Conservation Corps, and volunteers searched for her. Um, a nearby factory actually shut down to allow its workers to search as well. So. That's awesome. Yep. After two days of searching, law enforcement made some interesting statements. The sheriff said, maybe Alice didn't wander away alone in the woods. I'm afraid something else happened to her. The county sheriff uh, also stated in the same article that she had been kidnapped. 
Statements were made saying she could not survive the cold night temperatures and exposure. Four bloodhounds failed to find her scent. And then on August 20th, searchers were looking on a seldom used logging road and thought they heard moaning. They found Alice sitting under a spruce tree. She was naked and sitting on her one-piece blue sunsuit. So that was the end. She was fine. She was naked, though. It's weird. It is, but there's no... I mean, back then, you just didn't talk about stuff like that. So there's no indication of anything else. So this next one is super weird. You're going to tell me it gets more weird it's than a 20-month-old just chilling on his clothes? Yep, yep. 20-month-old wandering around. Naked? Mm-hmm. So Carl Hetterk... Anyway, Carl... I can't say his last name. I have to do I this. I think it's supposed to be Hetrick. I have to do this. Hmm. I have to. Um, so, good old friend of mine in college. Mm-hmm. Anytime you you say the word Carl, you go, Carl! Gotcha. You, I'm not going to do that, though. Do you know why? No. The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. See, I've seen everything you mentioned. Because it's in the 21st century. <laughs> 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 I've been to the year 3000. Not much has changed, but they live underwater. I think it's Hedrick. I think I had a typo. Anyway, Carl goes missing November 23rd, 1943 at the age of 37. Carl and his cousin were deer hunting, and at some point in the hunt, they became separated, and Carl never showed back up to camp. His cousin contacted law enforcement, uh, and snow began falling that first night. The search for Carl lasted three days without finding him until late on the third day, his cousin found Carl lying on the ground motionless. His face was black and had some minor scratches on his arms and his hands. His face is black. Mm-hmm. Like he's been beaten up? Mm-mm. There were also some alleged bear tracks that were huge, like giant bear tracks, on the ground in the area. And Carl's rifle was found leaning against a tree about 70 feet away with one spent round lying on the ground near the rifle. The coroner said that a bear had scratched Carl and killed him by squeezing him to death. Uh, his lungs actually were punctured. I could not find any information on any other death by bear squeezing. I've never heard of that. I I, I haven't either. I, I mean, bear claws are huge. They got these teeth. I mean, you're not getting minor scratches from a bear. No, you get scratched by a bear. It's it's cutting you. It's it, yeah. It's slicing you open. I mean, they take down elk. They take down deer. And, and the bear killed him and left him. That's that's nah. The bear the bear took him. Yeah. Um. And I say it was alleged bear tracks because. They said it looked like bear tracks, but they were much larger than bear tracks in the description. His face was black, I think, because of the way he died. Oh, okay. Um, I thought he was still awake to it. I mean, alive to it after you said that. No, he was dead. Uh, by the way, I'm looking up the largest bear track ever. It's a grizzly, which don't live here. They're not on the East Coast. Correct. The only thing in the United States that would be a large bear track would be a grizzly, because that's the biggest bear. They do not live in on the East Coast. There are no grizzly bears on the East Coast. It's just a black bear. Here's something weird. Hmm. The uh, largest bear that was taken in 1952 was a Kodak on Kodak Island, mm-hmm. Alaska, by Roy Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boone and Crockett said that the bear's skulls uh, scored 30, uh, 30, 12, 16th, which is the largest length, with the lower jaw being uh, 17, 15, 16th. That's almost a three-foot head. Yeah, but it's nowhere near what we're talking about. 
Right. Um, it's in Alaska. I, I, it's not even attached to the mainland United States. Well, right. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. Like, that, I don't know how far Vermont is from, you know, that island, but, you know. A long way. I don't think bears travel that far like that. No, I don't think anything like that's been ever seen. Sorry, but. That's I, okay. I, no. I was just trying to see. You know, it just makes you wonder. Then the next one to go missing was Mitty Rivers, who was guiding a hunting party made up of four hunters up on Glastonbury Mountain. And on the way back, he got ahead of the group and he was never seen again. Just there, missing? Yep. There was an extensive search, but all that was found was a rifle cartridge in a stream. And he was known in the area as a very experienced hunter and fisherman. And he often led hunting trips to Glastonbury Mountain. So he was very familiar with the area he even though he was he was 74 years old i just want to let you know mm-hmm. i looked up um just want to look up like what's like the main predators in mm-hmm. vermont there's only there there are wolves but the only thing else is a black bear mm-hmm. and black bears don't get that big Mm-mm. sorry it's okay i was just kind of curious like last thing i ain't gonna lie to you i don't think black bears hug you I've never heard of that before, ever. Ever. But that's how he died. He was squeezed. By a bear. Supposedly. And that didn't eat him. And black bears are super aggressive. Like, grizzlies Grizzlies are super aggressive, but if you play dead, they leave you alone. Like, black bears are the only few bears that you actually have to fight. Like, if they see you... You don't really you, have to... F- yeah, but so you don't have to fight them, though. I'm fighting them up for... So, well, see, this is, this is the... When you're hiking, what you're taught is, if it's a grizzly, you play dead. Because you're probably screwed. You're probably going to be dead if it comes after you. Grizzlies are nasty. Black bears are shy, and they don't like, unless it's a mother, unless it's a, a mother with cubs, then you're gonna, probably going to be in trouble. But you don't run. You're supposed to make yourself seem larger. So if you're with other people, you link arms, put your arms up in the air, and kind of wave your arms to make yourself appear larger than you are. And the bear typically will leave that's why you also when you're hiking on the east coast you have a bear bell and it just as you walk it jingles because the bear will hear it and they don't want anything to do with you so they'll leave he's 74 years old he's many rivers is 74 years old this is november 1945 he's gone missing he's ahead of the other four hunters in his group he goes missing and he is as i said an experienced hunter and fisherman leads these hunting parties all the time on the mountain all they found was that rifle cartridge in the stream, and it was the same type that Mitty used, and it was speculated that he had probably, like, leaned over to look at something, and it fell out of his pocket, because I guess it was he kept it in his, like, breast pocket. pocket yeah. They never found any of his things, no rifle, no clothing, no supplies. The only thing they ever found was that cartridge. The next disappearance happened December 1st, 1946, and it was 18-year-old Paula Weldon, who was a sophomore at Bennington College, and she went to go for a hike on the long trail. Several witnesses saw her leave for her hike. A gentleman named Ernest Whitman, who was a Bennington Banner employee, gave her directions. She was seen on the trail by an older couple who were approximately 100 yards behind her. They said they saw her turn a corner in the trail, but when they reached the same corner, she had disappeared. She wasn't ahead of them. She never returned to college, and there was an extensive search conducted. The FBI was involved and included a $5,000 reward. There were rumors that she had run away with a boyfriend or she was living in the woods as a recluse, but neither rumor was substantiated. She was never found. Author Shirley Jackson's 1951 novel, Hangsman, was based on the Weldon disappearance. December 1st, 1949, a veteran named James Tedford disappeared exactly three years after Paula Weldon. 
He was a resident of Bennington Soldier's Home, and he had been visiting relatives and was returning back home on the bus. So he got on the bus. He was on the bus at the last stop before Bennington, and somewhere between that stop and the Bennington stop, he vanished without the bus stopping. His belongings were still in the luggage rack, and his open bus timetable was lying on his empty seat. And apparently the bus driver said that he was there after the stop before and was in his seat after they started going. And when they got to Bennington, he was not on the bus. I don't even know what to make of that one. That's a... Uh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I'm, yep. like, I'm thinking, like, did the bus have cameras? Did the bus have bathrooms? Not back then. There weren't, right. weren't any cameras so on the no bus. there's no cameras, there's no Probably bathrooms. no bathroom either. So... Where'd he go? Yeah. Uh, one of the most tragic disappearances is that of eight-year-old Paul Jepson, uh, which happened October 12th, 1959. He was with his mother in a truck headed out to go feed the family's pigs that they kept at the local dump. She parked the truck near the forest around 3.30 p.m. and began her 30-minute routine. She left him unattended in the truck, and when she returned, he was gone. Search parties looked for him for two weeks, but nothing was ever found. He had been wearing a bright red jacket and should have been highly visible to the searchers. Bloodhounds were said to have tracked his scent to the highway where four years earlier, Paula Weldon had disappeared. Same area of the highway, I guess. I don't know. Paul's father recalled that in the days leading up to his disappearance, he kept talking about needing to go to the mountains and how the mountains were calling him, and he needed to go visit the mountains. Hmm. October 28, 1950, Frida Langer was 53, and she was with her cousin Herbert Elsner uh, when they went, they were camping. They were, there was a family campsite that they had near the Somerset Reservoir, and she and her cousin left the campsite to go hiking. Frida slipped and fell into a stream, and she told her cousin that she was going to go back to the campsite to change, and she'd catch up if he, if he waited for her. She didn't return, so eventually her cousin made his way back to the campsite and discovered she had never gone back to the camp. So she just poof. Yeah. Yep. She fell in the stream, said, hey, I'm going to head back, change, and I'll, I'll catch up. So he waits around. She doesn't show back up. He goes back to the camp to see what's going on, finds out she'd never even made it to camp. No one had seen her since she had left on her hike earlier. Five searches were conducted that involved planes, helicopters, and 300 searchers, but no trace was found. On May 12, 1951, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir in a swampy area. Many found this strange as that area had been extensively searched many times. There was no ruling on cause of death because of the amount of decomposition, so they don't even know how she died. They checked that area multiple times, you Yeah, said? they searched it multiple times. Frida had owned the cabin for 14 years and was experienced and very familiar with the area. She was an experienced hiker. I mean, 14 years, that's a long, that's a long time. Um, so she was familiar. It's not like she got lost. She knows that area. She went missing 16 days after Paul Jepson. Okay. So there was a lot of speculation over what happened to some of these people, especially between 45 and uh, 1945 and 50. And at the time, there was a theory that there might be a killer on the loose. And the local papers called the possible killer the Bennington Ripper and the mad murderer of the Long Trail. But there was never any evidence to support this theory, though at the time there was no information about serial killings. It's possible they missed clues. So it could have possibly been a serial killer. But that really hadn't been... That wasn't a phrase that was even used then, so. Uh, what was the missing 401 case? What was it with the, with the guy? Mitty that... Rivers, Paula Weldon, Paul Jepson. Oh, no, not these. Frida Langer. Oh. The one we did. But the boy. Dennis Martin. Dennis Martin. Yeah. You know how the guy that apparently the guy saw, he looked like, you know, he was either A, trying the to The wild hide. man in the woods. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, like, they never call him. You know what I mean? And someone physically saw him. So maybe maybe there was a situation like that. You know what yeah. I mean? He might might have been. It's a pretty uh, remote. Remote. And, yeah. Yep. We're done with the disappearances. And now we're going to move on to UFOs. The cream of the crop here. That's the right. piece, the piece of resistance. That's right. So through the years, there's been numerous UFO sightings in the area of the Bennington Triangle. There have been reports of triangular-shaped craft seen in the skies over the area, and the sightings seem to share a few common themes. None of the crafts make noise. They all have some type of flashing lights. One had lights that flashed and changed color rapidly, and another was listed as having seven specific flashing lights. The crafts were all described as fast-moving. One started out as two balls of light that quickly moved and changed into a triangular object. All the witnesses to the sighting said that the objects disappeared very fast, with one saying that the craft shot off into space. Other witnesses have described strange lights in the skies over the mountain that appeared suddenly, moved quickly, and made abrupt direction changes before vanishing instantly. Another witness claimed to have seen a circular light over the mountain that grew larger and brighter before disappearing. And there's also a description of a dark silver disc object being seen. The object made no noise and had no windows or openings, and it too disappeared quickly. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Coming off a of skinwalker, it's kind of like, really? More? Yep. That's, more? That's, 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 more? Long as it doesn't look like an RV. Yeah, exactly. I'll take a disc, not the RV. That's right. That's right. Triangular-shaped object. Well, that's similar to stuff that was described at the UFO ranch in Washington State, too. Triangular craft and orbs and fast-moving and that sort of thing. Maybe they were the benevolent ones. I don't know. We're not done yet with the creepiness of Glastonbury. Native Americans have a legend of an enchanted stone that eats people. Yeah, that's avoid that boulder. Um, I think we talked enough about the rock. Yeah, we're going to talk about a different rock. No, There's nobody alive who's seen it because everybody who encounters it is, is eaten alive by the rock. So then here's a funny question. Where did it come from? I don't know. It said when somebody stands on the rock, it becomes gelatinous and swallows the person whole. So it just kind of softens up and... <laughs> So it goes from, hold on, hold on, we can't let this go. Oh, God. So it, it goes from a rock to jelly. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yep. It gets soft. It's like a fitness journey. <laughs> you start out in jelly, you go to rock, go back to jelly. Oh, God. There are some people who believe the rock is actually a gateway into another dimension. So that's not eating people so much as people are disappearing into another dimension which would explain the turning to jelly and people disappearing. No, this reminds me of what Frozen 2. I've never seen Frozen movies. No, oh, it's like four rocks and they like represent the four things of like the nature and all that. And like there's this big cloud and like they all get pushed through the cloud to a complete different dimension that's blocked yep. off by the clouds. Kind of. Yes. But this turns into a gelatinous jello. Or the Skinwalker Ranch with its portal that opens up. The snake portal. Basically, goes without saying, Native Americans in the area viewed the mountain as a dangerous place to be, and they avoided it. They also had tales of a wild, hairy man and strange beasts in the woods, and they believed that the winds met at the top of the mountain, and they only used the area for burial. They didn't go to hunt there at all. Okay. And you don't mess with Indian burials. That's right. That's right. They also say it's bad luck to wear red while hiking on Glastonbury Mountain because both 
Paula Weldon and Paul Jepson were wearing red at the time of their disappearances. There's been other tales of people disappearing that's a, that's while a hiking and wearing red. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, Ernie has a red shirt. He hasn't disappeared. A red jacket. He hasn't disappeared hiking. Yeah, I'm going to call bull on that one. I, mean, I think it, it's it, just... Uh, it's just a scary kind of thing. I know. You know it's I mean? like, oh, don't wear red. That's right. Well, what is that thing? Um, man. Uh, like, don't be up at 3 a.m. You know what I mean? I'm up at 3 a.m. every night. And you're still alive. So far. So, that's so, Bennington Triangle. I have not been there yet. I'll be honest here with you. I think half it is explainable. I think a quarter of it is unexplainable. I think the other quarter is just a crock of crap. I'll be up front with you. I don't know. I think the Bennington Monster is credible. Unexplainable. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put that one. Unexplainable, credible. The disappearances happened. So and you've I'm, got five of the disappearances are, they dis, they disappeared, except for Frida Langer, her body was found. Yeah. Um, but you have other people who have disappeared. You Correct. know, the two little kids, and then the one that got squeezed to death. I mean, that's just yeah, but that, crazy. I, the one that got squeezed to death falls into mystery. Mm-hmm. And then I also think the bear thing falls in a crock of crap. Um, there's no bear that does that. No, um, no. So I, what did? Right. And then I will also say, too, that the red thing's a crock of crap. The rock thing's a crock of crap. I don't know that the rock thing is a crock of crap. You don't think so? I kind of think the idea that there's a portal there. I don't think these people are being eaten by rock. You're a Native American. How are you going to describe something like that happening? That's fair. but You, I just... you see people are go to this rock, go near this rock, stand on this rock, and they disappear. What, what are you going to think? If you're a Native American couple hundred years ago what what is your frame of reference yeah but i find it hard to believe though like that rock somebody or something or government or something like that if it was able to do that that they don't have it you know what i mean like they they are not watching it or closely anybody specifically knows where it is there is no specific location so mentioned for this see that's the tough part with me you know what i mean it's just kind of like out there it's like oh yeah there's a rock in the mountain that each but that's why they stayed away from the mountain. Like, that's part of the reason why they would not, they buried their dead there, but they would not, you know, this mountain, they're full of game. Why wouldn't you hunt the mountain? They will not hunt the mountain. They that's, stayed off of it, stayed away from it. It was bad news. You bury your dead there. That's it. You don't go there to hunt, walk around, live on nothing. You stay away from it. So let me play double sword here, the devil's advocate. So then why bury your dead there, though? Like, I know Indians are very, like, about their dead. They're very in tune with them they don't like people messing with them they don't want to disrespect them so then why bury them somewhere you don't want to go i don't think they went back to visit it's not like us where we go back to the cemetery i think they had certain burial areas and they were safe for the most part and that's all they did in that area they go to their known area to bury the dead that is relatively safe they're familiar with but they don't go to hunt the mountain okay they don't live on the mountain they don't hunt the mountain okay I'm just saying I'm not quick to discount it because the idea of a portal, if you can believe the portals on Skinwalker Ranch, you have to be able to accept that there might be something. Because this area is not, I mean, it's pretty dense I'm not vegetation. saying something ain't there. I just don't believe there's a rock that eats you. I don't think it's the rock. I think yeah. it's the rock is in the area of whatever this thing is. And the frame of reference for a Native American a couple hundred years ago, they didn't know really what that was so somebody goes stands on the rock and they're gone the rock ate them you know like that's the simplest explanation explanation for what you witness Um, that's fair that's fair that's all i'm saying i didn't think about it like that yeah so i'm not necessarily saying it's the rock itself but that the rock is in the vicinity of whatever it is 
close enough that it appears the rock has something to do with it. In fact, it could be the portal opens up in front of the rock, and that's why the rock would appear gelatinous. Yeah. If you've got something kind of in front of it that blurs it, it would appear that the rock looks is no longer solid. So if we ever do find the rock, and somehow someone doesn't get eaten by it, mm-hmm. um, I wonder like how Skimwalker, they had the weird designs on it. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that has weird designs on it. That's carved know. in by another rock that clearly is not stained on there. It's carved in there by another rock. I don't know. The only question is, would they have bothered to go there to do that? Wouldn't if be they them. stayed off the mountain. Well, it wouldn't be them. True. It would be like, True. you know, like a symbol kind of like letting it like, if I'm an alien, I'm pretty sure they have a way of like figuring out where it is. But They for- drew an arrow portal here. <laughs> <laughs> Stand on rock. <laughs> Push button here. Push button here. All righty. Well, uh, Jamie, I'm 50, 25, 25. You know where my 50 is, you know where my 25 is, you know where my 25 is. Mm-hmm. This is something I think we might need to dive into again. But I think we should go more in-depth on the UFOs and more in-depth on the, the missing 401. If you want to talk about the cryptid, if you can find information, that'd be great. But other than that, I, I really, I, I'm really interested in the 401s because I feel like... You can get more information on those because a lot of them have write-ups in newspapers. That's how I found the one on that Winona the little two-year-old girl that went missing. Yeah. she Her name was mentioned in articles about Alice Baker, who went missing a few months after. So I was like, wait a minute, I didn't even know about that one. So there are news articles on those, so you could go more in-depth, but I just was trying to do the overview of all the creepiness that goes on in yep. this specific area. So and you did a great job of it. Thanks. <laughs> so, Jamie, tell yes. them where they can find us. Well, currently we're sitting in Tim's gym. Can find us here. <laughs> Um, and the you, ghost. Yes. The, I mean, don't be doing stuff. It hasn't done anything lately. Good. So you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can always find podcast episodes at lurkpodcast.com, where you can also find show notes and links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as always, I suggest you like one or all of these because any photos that may be associated with episodes we post there, any other miscellaneous information or ridiculousness also gets posted there. I just thought of something. Yes. Yeah, you say like us. Mm-hmm. I think you mean follow us. No, nah, you, you click the like button on Facebook. Follow or like because Facebook, it's like, and that's why... That's where most of the stuff gets posted. That's true. I post stuff on Instagram and Twitter, but it's not like Facebook's easier and quicker for me to post on. Dude. That's why it happens there more often. So anyway, that's why I say like, because I'm thinking Facebook. You like it on Facebook, you follow Instagram and Twitter. So whatever you want to do, make sure you do it. Share a friend, tell a friend, let's get it going. Yes, please share. Um, you know, we have a pretty consistent following and listenership, but we would like to grow. And if you could leave us a a review on Apple, that would be great because that helps the podcast get suggested to other people. Alrighty. Well, outstanding. Until next time. Keep lurking.